Hello and welcome. I'm your host, Chris Geis. In case you're a new listener, the purpose of my podcast is to help grow the sport of motorcycling by helping riders of all levels, whether they are new to motorcycling or not, increase their knowledge and skills so that they are better, safer riders and are getting everything they want out of motorcycling, whether it's on the street, on the track, or maybe even as a fan or a participant in some form of motorcycle racing. And this is episode 34 titled, What I Am Learning About Motorcycle Gear for Road and Track. In this episode, I answer an email from a listener who is looking to buy his first motorcycle and is looking for advice on how much to spend on his motorcycle gear. I take this opportunity to answer his question by discussing all the things I have learned recently about high-end gear that is suitable for track riding as I start preparing myself to start riding on the track in 2020. I cover the fact that I'm facing the same dilemma that he is. How much do I spend? I discuss what I'm learning about helmets, boots, and tracksuits, and how I've decided to move ahead on deciding what to buy. I also mention that I've decided that before I start getting very involved in doing track days, I first want to improve my riding skills and learn how to ride properly on the track by taking the type of training offered by the California Superbike School and Total Control Training. This episode was recorded and is being released on Wednesday, December 4th, 2019. I hope you enjoy it. So, you want to ride a motorcycle? Well, you've come to the right place. Because this is the So You Want to Ride a Motorcycle podcast. It's been two weeks since the last episode. It's amazing how time flies at times. Uh, so I hope everyone had a happy Thanksgiving, at least those of you that celebrate it, you know, people in the U.S. Um, I definitely had a great Thanksgiving. It actually was kind of cool because uh, I did get the opportunity to ride for a couple hours on Thanksgiving Day before we went over to Gina's family just to, to celebrate Thanksgiving. Um, and it was kind of interesting because recently, maybe it was the, actually the last episode, or sorry, two episodes ago, I had done like a kind of shorter episode on heated gear and, you know, talked about why I use the heated gear and how I like it so I can ride all year round and whatever. And um, so I went out on this ride and I checked the temperature when I left the house. It was 50 degrees. So I was like, you know, it's cool, but it's it's not cool enough to be bothered, you know, to, not digging out. I've already got it accessible, but, you know, throwing on the heated gears, like, oh, I'll be comfortable. And it, it wasn't too bad. I mean, I was out for two hours. Uh, I did ride up to the North Shore of Long Island, you know, on the water. So you've got, you know, kind of uh, the, the effects of that. It was very windy, you know, in our area on Thanksgiving Day. So there's a lot of wind coming off the, the water and whatnot. The waves were really whipped up. And I had posted actually on Facebook a video of uh, the bike just along the shoreline. You could see the waves crashing on the uh, retaining wall and whatever, just kind of around a little jetty that I was near, a little bend that I was near. But uh, anyway, so I, I opted not to wear the heated gear, which it's just one of those interesting things. You know, it's, it's sometimes hard. It's actually one of the tricky things about riding is, especially if you're in a climate with varying conditions, is knowing how to dress before you go for the ride. So anyway, the point I'm getting to is, you know, I, I was fine for the ride. I was not like super uncomfortable, but you know, towards the middle of the ride, actually coming back, I was like, you know, if I had the heated jacket and heated gloves, I'd be even more comfortable. So it's just one of those lessons learned. And just especially for new riders, something to keep in mind, like one thing I've tried to get in the habit of doing is not dress for how I feel before I get on the bike. 
but try to, you know, based on current conditions, you know, kind of how things feel before I get on the bike and what the weather forecast is saying and what the temperature and the humidity and whatever, and then where am I going to be riding, how fast am I going to be riding, and then gauge it that way because, you know, if you, if you just gauge, if you gauge your comfort by before you get on the bike, by the time you get moving, you know, generally it's going to be cooler than, than you're dressed for. Uh, you know, even, even in the really hot weather, it's, it's going to be cooler, which is sometimes a nice thing. But anyway, just uh, definitely something to keep in mind. So this, this episode is going to be a continuation of the last episode, the one I did prior to Thanksgiving, which I titled Giving Thanks. And uh, in that episode, I had mentioned wanting to take the opportunity to catch up on all the emails and messages that I've gotten from listeners, you know, since I started the podcast. So, you know, there are ones that I've read on the show, but uh, many that I have not. And I've been wanting to do that for some time. So my general idea was I was going to kind of start at the beginning and work forward. The, the one exception I'm just going to make is here, and I'll just give you a little lead up as to why. So it, it's kind of interesting doing the podcast. You know, I, I guess like anything you put your effort into and spend a lot of time doing, you know, you, of course, want to create the most impact that you can and, and you want to help as many people as you can and you, you know, want, want what you do to matter. And so, you know, sometimes they'll kind of be like, you know, like I've mentioned in past episodes, you know, doing a podcast does take a fair amount of work. I'm not complaining. It's a lot of fun. I really enjoy doing it. But, you know, there are those weeks where it's like, oh, you know, you kind of have to just like anything in life, you know, even things you really enjoy. Sometimes you got to drag yourself, you know, a little bit to get going or pull yourself up by the bootstraps. You know, and sometimes I'm like, you know, am I really having enough impact, enough effect? You know, is is what I'm doing worth it? The time that I'm spending and whatever. And it's just kind of interesting because usually about the time I start feeling that way, I get a message or an email like this. So this is a message I got today, uh, actually on uh, Instagram. I believe it was Instagram um, from uh, Shane, who actually is originally from Queens, New York, but now lives in Atlanta, Georgia. But so he, he sent me this really cool message that he said, um, one second, hang on, pull it up. I said, just wanted to let you know, I love your podcast and I'm learning a ton. I've wanted to ride since I was five years old. Now I'm 50 and have the goal for 2020 to get a bike. Your show is helping with this. Thank you. So Shane, thank you for the message. That was really awesome. And I just kind of responded back. Hey, you know, you kind of made my day with, with that message. Um, so, you know, it, it's just really nice because obviously, you know, Shane is a guy that I, that I am helping a person I am helping. And so, you know, it's just nice to get that kind of feedback and, you know, kind of acknowledgement and know that, you know, what I'm doing is, is having an effect and it is helping people. Um, and it, it's kind of interesting because Shane's message kind of got me to think a little bit about, you know, who my audience is now, you know, I said from the beginning of the podcast from episode one, that, you know, I would like to appeal to as broad an audience as possible. My goal is to just get more people into motorcycling and help people enjoy it more and have it be more fulfilling and, you know, to, to be better at it and improve their skills and to just keep trying and, you know, doing new things. Um, but in all honesty, like if I, if I look back at the, the various emails and messages I get from people, it is true that probably, and not all, but, but kind of the, I don't want to say average listener, but most listeners are probably in my generation, you know, kind of the, you know, midlife 40s, you know, mid upper 40s to 50s, maybe early 60s, you know, kind of audience, uh, which is cool, which is fine. Um, but it's just kind of interesting. And, you know, and it makes sense, right? Because one, we tend to relate better to people, you know, that 
we that understand us better you know people of our own generation our own background or whatever um you know like i said i would like to appeal to as broad an audience as possible men women you know younger people older people like kind of the gamut you know people in the u.s outside the u.s you know all, all over the world but on the other hand it kind of is what it is right and so you know you, you you find out and you get an idea of who your audience is and then you know you figure out what you find out what is it that they want and you know deliver that and, and cater to that so obviously like i said there are exceptions i mean uh you know um john gardner g4 you know is if i'm not mistaken mid to late 20s john if i got that wrong you can message me and let me know but like he's that millennial generation you know i've interviewed a lot of people in the millennial generation um but anyway, like I said, it was just kind of interesting. It just, you know, Shane's message just got me to look at it and go, yeah, yeah I guess that is kind of a lot of the people um, in, that are communicating with me or, you know, give me feedback on the show or, or in that age bracket. So again, I, I want to help everyone I can, but certainly, you know, I, I do appreciate the feedback that I do get from, you know, listeners who take the time to message me or send an email. And I do want to make sure that your needs are being met as well. So yep, definitely continue, continue letting me know communicating because I really appreciate it. And then uh, I had actually emailed Shane because I mentioned to him that uh, I've been kind of in email communication, like listeners who've sent me feedback or contacted me by email or, you know, I have their email address through Facebook or something like that. Um, I just recently sent an email out to everybody saying, hey, you know, I'm looking for feedback and I want to do surveys and things to, to get information from the listeners to better get an understanding of what the listeners want and how to shape the show and kind of the direction to go in. And so I had sent that email to Shane, and uh, so he had responded back to me. And if you hold on one second. So he said, yeah, he'd be more than happy to help out. Um, you know, he listens to the show, and he always gets something from each episode. Um, but in particular, and, and the reason I wanted to talk about his email first is he closed the email by saying, one thing you may be able to direct me on is gear. I'm having a tough time figuring out what quality to get. For instance, I can get a helmet for $100 or spend $500. It's hard to tell how much more protection or comfort I will get from additional dollars. Any guidance is appreciated. So um, it got me thinking that, that this. I just kind of wanted to take this up now and come to think of it, I probably will spend a little time talking about it. So I do hope I get to the other emails. But because it's a topic that just came up right away and more importantly, this is something I'm kind of dealing with myself right now. So as I've mentioned for quite some time on my podcast and on Throttled, uh, I'm looking, planning next year to start doing track days. Now, that has changed a little bit. Like I've started looking at the various track day schools. Uh, the, the, the two tracks that I'm interested in is New Jersey Motorsports Park, which I've been down to to see Motor America races, uh, and actually the also the vintage, the AHRMA races uh this past summer which was really cool and then uh the other one that's within about the same distance for me it's about three they're, they're both about three and a half hours or something i think is about what i saw with google is uh up, upstate new york which is the uh, new york safety track and so each of those tracks actually kind of have their own track day you know organizations or clubs you know and they have uh, instructors that work with them on a regular basis. And it's looking to me, and again, I'm just starting to figure all this stuff out and, and learn about it, that, you know, those clubs at the tracks are the ones that do most of the track days at the, that, those locations, which makes sense. But there are, of course, other track day organizations, like N2 is one of the ones I know. 
and uh, Rob Cicciello. Rob, I hope I pronounced your name right if you're listening. Um, he's a Moto America racer who actually works for N2. He's an instructor um, and a, a track coach. And then also, of course, he's a racer and whatnot. And you know, he has, N2 is a sponsor on his motorcycle. <clears throat> and actually, I'm hoping to get him on the show soon. But um, anyway, so N2 is one. And then there's the whole host of others, which slipped my mind right now. Um, but anyway, the point I'm getting to is... So one, what I'm kind of thinking now is, you know, doing track days does involve some money. You know, in case of these clubs, it's basically like an annual membership that you can sign up for, which then saves you some money on track day sessions and think there's other perks and things like that. Um, but so what I'm actually wondering is if it would make more sense to do some more training first, either with probably... It's currently looking like probably California Superbike School is where I would start, but that or total control. I'd love to do total control. Most of their training is out west, so like California, I think Arizona, I forget exactly. Um, but I have been emailing like with all these organizations, and they did answer back. Uh, total control did that. They don't have a schedule yet, but they're, they're they are going to be at a location close to me. And I forget now if it was like Pennsylvania or New Jersey. So. That could end up being a possibility. But anyway, the point is, is I, I do want to start increasing my skills. I've been doing a lot, a lot of reading. You know, I've read all, of, not all of, but most of Keith Code stuff's The Twist of the Wrist, Volume 1 and 2. I've watched the videos and read the books. Um, about two-thirds of the way done now with Lee Park's Total Control. I watch uh, Dan Netting stuff all the time on YouTube. Uh, uh Dave Moss from Dave Moss Tuning, you know, he's been on the show. I've learned a lot from him and his videos. I haven't signed up for his his paid service yet, uh, but I'm getting a lot just just out of watching his uh, his free videos and things. And so the point is, it's like I've got a lot of knowledge now. I think I've got a lot of understanding, but it's time to like hone my skills and test it out. And so, yes, I could go start doing some track days, and that would help, you know, because there are coaches available. You know, either as part of the track day, or I'm guessing you could even hire a coach to just work on you, you know, one on one. And, you know, you get advice from other riders and people doing track days, and, and that's fine and that's good. But it's not going to be the same as doing like dedicated training, you know, on the track. Uh, and so that's why I'm thinking maybe before I start spending the money on track days, maybe first I need to focus on, you know, getting some additional training. So, that's kind of what I'm looking at. But either way, it's going to be on the track. And so that brings me to the point about Shane's email, which is I've also mentioned I'm now at the point of researching and looking into what I want to do for improved equipment, you know, gear for the motorcycle. So in particular, when you're doing track days, um, you know, generally most of the organizations you know, seem to have some kind of beginner's day. Like for someone brand new, never ridden on the track before, it's fairly inexpensive. You generally have the option of renting gear from them or, you know, the gear is not like super, super, that uh, they don't have very, very high, high requirements because you're not going to be going super fast. You're a novice. You're just getting started. You're learning the ropes and the track and, you know, you're going to get coached on what to do and, and, and et cetera. Um, but at some point, you know, once you kind of get out of that beginning first couple track days, and then, you know, usually there'll be like three classifications of, I've heard it referred to as like, uh, you know, A, B, and C level riders or how however they do it. But basically, you know, you're kind of beginners and your intermediate group and your experts, and they rotate those groups on the track, you know, during various sessions during the track day so that you've got riders of similar skills, you know, on the track at the same time and, you know, people going about the same speed and basically 
similar skill level so you don't have problems with too much passing or if people are passing, you know, they know how to do it properly and whatever. Um, so anyway, as, as you get up to those further levels, then, you know, the, the requirements get a little more more stringent. But so basically what I'm looking at needing to do track days um, and, and including if I do like California Superbike School or in some cases total control, although it depends on the course because they have everything from beginner courses, you know, up, up to advanced courses, but is basically a leather track suit. Um, which generally seems like could be a one piece or a two piece as long as it zips together like 360 degrees, like really properly zips together. Um, so far, kind of what I'm seeing is, you know, unless you're really only going to do track days like really once in a while, it's not recommended to go with a two piece suit. Um, it is kind of a convenience if you're going to ride on the road because you could just wear the jacket if you want or just the pants or whatever. And then if you're going to do a track day, you have the benefit of a suit. But, you know, obviously, you know, you have two pieces of, of clothing and a zipper. And so now you're introducing potential weaknesses. And so while when I get started on track days, I don't expect to be driving like a maniac and I'm not going to be driving like a racer at that level of performance. But still, the whole point of the gear is to protect you. And so this is this is to Shane's point. This is what I'm wrestling with is, you know, how much do I want to spend and what's the trade-offs I'm willing to make regarding my safety, you know, and, and doing track days and stuff. So anyway, so that's kind of track suit, right? And then some kind of good boots, you know, the requirement for just getting started is just, you know, kind of like uh, the MSF basic rider course, you know, you need boots that come up above your ankles and protect your ankles. Uh, but, you know, I do want to get some kind of good boots for the track <clears throat> again, because you just never know something goes wrong. You know, I'm not saying this is common or whatever, but hey, you know, you could collide with someone, they could collide with you, something goes bad, you run off the track, whatever, right? That anything's possible when you're, you know, when you're kind of stepping up things and pushing things a little harder and a little faster, right? There's more, more variables, more things that could go wrong, even though you've got the benefits of being on a track where everyone is doing the same thing and they're all going in the same direction. You don't have cars trying to cut you off and, you know, all that kind of stuff. Sorry, so there's the boots, and then it's got to be a good helmet, right? So it's got to be a full-face helmet. Again, some of the beginners just getting going, <clears throat> they might let you get away with a modular helmet in some, some cases, but at some point it's going to require a full-face helmet. And there again, you know, DOT is the requirement, but then you've got things like Snell, the Snell rating, you know, helmets with Snell certification. So that's something I'm looking at. And then, uh, of course, gloves. Uh, I guess that pretty much completes the the, the outfit, where again – you know, yeah, okay, starting out, you got to just have some good leather gloves or whatever, but, you know, there's all kinds of gloves and there's all kinds of protection and stuff built in. So the the point I'm getting to here, and Shane kind of this is a roundabout way of, of answering your question, but I'm actually just thinking, it's it's actually, it, it's kind of, I'm glad you, you sent me that email because it's kind of a, a good, it's good timing because like I said, I've been thinking about all these things and doing all this research and it's fresh in my mind. And so I'm like, okay, this is a really good opportunity to share this with people. Uh, you know, and for sure, you know, listeners who do track days, and I know I've got some listeners who do track days or the track day instructors or whatever, um, you know, by all means, you know, give me your input, you know, email me, whatever, if I'm saying anything incorrect or incomplete or whatever, definitely correct me. Or even if you have advice on any of the things that I'm talking about, but, uh, so, so Shane, so, so back to that question. So that's kind of what I'm wrestling with now. You know, we've we just had like all the Black Friday, you know, and Cyber Monday deals. And of course, you know, those go away. It's really kind of funny, right? Because you get all the emails and 
Facebook notifications. Oh, you know, ends at midnight. You know, Cyber Monday is going to be gone or, you know, f- say whatever, you know, um, Black Friday or Black the Black Friday weekend or whatever. It's it's over. And, and then like the next day you get the email. OK, now it's Cyber December or whatever. Right. So ob- obviously, right. This is the big selling season for the holidays, Christmas and, and et cetera. So whatever the manufacturers, you know, and retailers are doing whatever they can to, to, to sell goods. OK, fine. Got that. Anyway, so the point is that uh, Dayanese was uh, for for Black Friday and kind of that whole weekend was promoting a big sale that they were having anywhere from I think thirty five to seventy five percent off, and it actually happens that there's a Dayanese store in New York City, about a fifteen minute walk from where I work in in downtown Manhattan, and I actually work in the Tribeca area. Um, so as I'd never been to the store before, so I'm like, you know what, let me go check it out because one of the things personally, I mean, I have, well, actually, let me think about this. Actually, generally I don't purchase, uh, like gear, clothing and helmets and stuff, mail order. Um, you know, the stuff that I've bought, you know, the, the earliest stuff that I bought, well, was at a motorcycle shop. That was just like when I bought a half helmet and some gloves just to kind of get started. But then, um. So I started in 2016 and, excuse me, went to IMS that that December, uh, the Jacob Javits Center in New York City, the International Motorcycle Show, and that's where I bought for myself and Gina our first, uh, not they're not full face helmets, but modular helmets, you know, full helmets with the built-in communications or whatever. And actually, in a minute, I'll look up and tell you what those those helmets were. Where we still have them, we still use them, and then, excuse me. Uh, the following, so I guess that was then December 2017, I think it was, or maybe or maybe it was last year. No, I forget. No, I think it was 2017 was when I realized, hey, I wanted to get the best setup I could for hot weather riding. And that's when you know, initially we bought a black helmet. I was like, let me get a white helmet. So I bought that helmet uh, also at the International Motorcycle Show in New York City. Uh, again, both of them were at the Cycle Gear booth. Um, whenever Cycle Gear is at IMS, they usually have some kind of good, it's like 20% off across the board or whatever, so it's even better. You know, Cycle Gear kind of always, quote-unquote, has stuff on sale. Like, you know, you go into the store and things always, like, kind of marked down. But these are, like, some some pretty good prices, like 20% off or whatever. So that's where I've tended to get my gear because I want to be able to try stuff on. And I'm, I'm kind of lazy about you know, getting something and then sending it back and getting something else. Like, I don't want that whole hassle. So either I've bought stuff like I, at IMS or we do have a local cycle gear. So generally I'll go to the store, try things on to make sure I've got a good fit, whether it's a helmet or whatever else. Um, you know, and then in a the worst case scenario, if they don't have my size or whatever, I can order online, either get it delivered here or delivered to the store. And then, uh, you know, I can just return it to the store if, if I don't like how it fits or I don't like the quality or whatever. So it's kind of generally generally how I've done things. So actually, let me just pause quickly so I can look up what those helmets are exactly. Okay, so the first full, like these modular helmets that we bought, and like I said, Gene and I still both use them, uh, is the Built Techno 2.0 Senna Bluetooth Modular Helmet, um, which I really, really like. Um, I like modular helmets because of the convenience factor. Now, for Gina, she kind of has, not like bad claustrophobia, but when we first started riding and I first started suggesting to her, hey, we really need to kind of up our game on the protection or whatever, we should look at getting away from the half helmets. She definitely didn't want to go for a full face because she's like, no, I'd feel too closed in and too claustrophobic. But when she looked at the modulars and tried one on, she's like, okay, I can, I could work with this. I could deal with this because 
you know, one, it's very easy to get the helmet on because you flip the front up, you put the helmet on, you strap it, and when you're ready, you know, you, you close it down and you're good to go. And so just her knowing if she ever felt a little enclosed or uncomfortable, she could just open the front up, you know, not not that I'd necessarily recommend it, but even like if she was riding, like on the bike underway, you actually could flip it up. So that worked out really well for her. And then, you know, the added convenience is, you know, and I've talked about this, you stop for gas and you want to talk to the gas station attendant or someone comes up, wants to talk to you. It's much easier to talk with the front of the helmet flipped up than, you know, trying to talk through a full face helmet or whatever. And then plus we've got the Bluetooth communications. So she and I can easily talk back and forth, which is really awesome. Uh, it's just so convenient and just, you know, navigating and whatever, we're, we're traveling someplace together, you know, even if it's for a couple hours or when we go for a weekend, it's just really, really good. And you've got the added benefit when you don't want or don't need to talk to one another, we, we can both listen to music that we enjoy. So that works out really cool. Um, now I'm looking at Cycle Gear's website. So this helmet lists for $319.99. and um, and it's currently listed at two thirty nine ninety nine, um, and then okay, right. So they say save eighty dollars twenty five percent. So, it, and it says sale, but like I'm pretty sure it's never three hundred and twenty dollars. It's always less than that. Maybe this is better than usual. I'm pretty sure we got the helmets for something close to this price. So I do think they've come down a little bit in a couple of years since we bought them. Okay, so then like I said. Um, so both had these black matte helmets, which are great, but, you know, in the summertime, just black soaks up the heat. So I then went with a white helmet in a slightly upgraded version of that. This one is the Built Techno 2.0 Senna Bluetooth Evolution Modular Helmet. That lists for $329.99, currently 24% off on sale, $249.99. And again, at the show, I'm pretty sure I paid a little bit less than that. I don't remember exactly. It might have been $230, $235. It might have been $240, something like that. Um, so anyway, so I really like these helmets. They're comfortable. They fit right. What is weird to me is the first one I mentioned, you know, I, I tried on different sizes, you know, and like from one that was too small, like it was too tight to one that was too loose. And I picked the one kind of in the middle, which is an extra large. And then this helmet, it's it's like, if you look at them, it's basically the same helmet. As far as I know, I mean, the, the shell is a little bit different. This, this uh, evolution model has, you know, kind of some shaping to the helmet so that there's like, you know, better airflow is, I think, the idea. Uh, but you look at the helmets, they look like basically the same helmet. I tend to think the shells are pretty much the same, but for whatever reason, in this helmet, I wear a medium, and that, that works fine. Uh, now, what's interesting is, you know, I have lost a little weight, and of course, you know, you kind of lose weight all over your body, so some of that I've lost in my face just a little bit. So what works out now is the first helmet, the extra large, is a little loose, So, but I use that in the colder weather, and then I usually wear one of these heavy, like Cycle Gear sells these Warmar, uh, either balaclavas, right, that go over your head, around your face, and your neck, or just the skull cap. And so that actually is just enough that the helmet then fits pretty snug, and so it's good. So I've got the white one that I just wear with a very thin uh, skull cap just to... The main reason I do it's a couple of reasons. One, your hair doesn't get so messy when you put the helmet on and take it off. And then two, my hair just gets a little oily and it just so helps keep the inside of the helmet clean. I don't have to wash the, actually, I've never washed the helmet liners and maybe I should, but I just, we just wash the skull caps and then kind of <clears throat> avoids that whole hassle. So that kind of works out really well. Okay. Anyway, so th those are the helmets I currently use. Now, 
Yeah, not cheap. Like I said, two, you know, whatever, two thirty, two hundred fifty for this one. Now, mind you, it does include the built-in Senna communications, right? Now, if you buy, I don't know the exact prices, but you know, you could look online. If you buy a Senna communications module, I'm guessing they go anywhere from like one hundred and fifty to three hundred, three hundred fifty dollars, depending on the model and how new it is. These are pretty simple units, if I remember correctly. The, the, the model number, you, you can't buy this like directly from Senna or Cena. I don't know how you, I'm not sure how you pronounce it, but I believe it's the SMH. No, wait, it's not SMH-10. It's one of their lower unit, lower, lower models. I believe it's the DMO-05. In fact, hang on one second and I will find out. Yeah, so one cool thing is, you know, nowadays everything is kind of available online as a PDF. So I'm actually looking on my phone, like I keep the Adobe PDF files, you know, like my motorcycle owner's manuals, like in this case I've got for the helmets. So the the, the user guide actually, so this is the DWO-5 by Senna. Um, and this is the, the the helmet headset system that they use, I believe, in all the built helmets, whether they're mod- modular or full face or whatever, that have, you know, uh, Bluetooth communication systems. So it, it's like an OEM system. Like, you can't just buy that as far as I know. I'm sure it's similar to one of the lower end Cena models that you can buy, like, over the counter. Um, but um, it, 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 so it's a, it's a pretty basic function functionality unit, although, you know, it, it does support, it supports intercom, right? And so I believe you can... You can only talk to one person at a time, but you can connect up to four people, supports the music, right? You can answer your phone, talk on the phone, you know, through the buttons on the side of the helmet. One thing I like is because it's integrated into the helmet, there's a very low profile control module that's on the left side of the helmet, just below the visor. Um, so it's very sleek, you know, unlike it's one thing I don't like with those after, like the, the add on like Senna or even, you know, Uclear or, um, What's the other one? I just actually was watching. Ryan Fortnite was just talking about him today. Um, the one, Cardio. I sorry, Cardo. The one that has the, the, the JBL connection or whatever. Anyway, it's like this kind of big clunking thing that sits on the side of the helmet. And it's, it's interesting too, and I'm trying not to go all over the place here, but different things are occurring to me as I'm talking about this. I've actually heard that there are states, and I don't know that it's actually laws on the books, but I've heard, like I've seen YouTube videos of motorcycle riders getting pulled over by police officers saying that it is illegal to have something externally mounted to your helmet, like something that didn't come with the helmet, whether it's a camera like mounted on the top or the chin or like a communications unit like mounted on the side of the helmet. Whether or not it's really true that it is illegal in certain areas, I'm not exactly sure, but that's something to just be aware of that potentially is an issue. But the point I'm kind of getting to is the bigger issue in terms of helmet and type of helmet and price you're going to pay. And one of the things I'm now thinking about as I'm researching new helmets is, and and I, I got this point, I was looking at the, well, yesterday I was looking during lunchtime, I was looking at the showy website at all the helmets that they have. Today I was looking at Arai, and I think it was Arai, I forget which one, but one of them makes the point that Anything that you do in the design of a helmet that leaves a pocket or a void or requires something to be recessed into the shell, one, is weakening the shell because you've got some kind of hole or opening in it, even if it's just a small hole to pass wires through. So you're somewhat, you know, maybe it's not major, but you're somewhat decreasing the integrity of the shell. And then by having some kind of electronics like the, the little 
whatever box holds the electronics for the Bluetooth device or whatever kind of accessory you happen to have built into your helmet is possibly or probably taking up space in the EPS liner, you know, which is the foam inside the helmet, right? So you basically got an, some outside shell made out of various materials, and it depends on the manufacturer and the model and how expensive it is, but it goes anywhere from just simple plastic to fiberglass to all kinds of composite materials uh, to carbon fiber or combinations of those things. And definitely, you know, go to the manufacturer websites. Like, uh, not surprisingly, but Shoei and Arai have really excellent websites. It talks all about the technology and their helmets, and they show photographs and, and all that kind of stuff. Like, there's, there's a lot that you can learn about it. But so... As convenient as these helmets are that I have, and as much as I like it and the flip-up capability, I got to look at it and go, you know, for street riding, it's probably okay. Um, aside from the fact that a modular is not allowed on track, I'm like looking at it now going, I wouldn't even want these features being on track because when I'm on the track, I want to be as safe as possible and as protected as possible in the event that something goes wrong, right? So... And it, like, so obviously modular helmet, the problem with that, like my understanding is the Snell Foundation will not review and certify modular helmets, not because they're not necessarily protective, but because just by the fact that the front of the helmet flips up means that you've weakened the shell, right? And so, I mean, it's just kind of logical, right? You look at it and you go, okay, you've got two pieces now. So depending on what happened or the impact or the angle of the impact or how you got hit or what you hit your head on, you could see the two pieces separating or the front of face of the helmet coming off, right? Because you don't have one, one um, combined integral unit, right? Which is going to be much stronger. Um, yeah. And you know, you kind of take the example, this is stretching it a little bit, but take like an egg, you know, a, a raw egg, right? And you probably, some you people have probably seen this, right? If you take a raw egg and you stand it on end and just press down, it, it takes a lot, a lot of force, to break the egg um, because it's very structurally sound in that way. But if you put the egg on its side, a little bit of pressure and it just cracks, right? Well, like same kind of concept. If you took an egg and you poked a hole in it or cracked it and then applied the pressure, even if it's standing on end, right, you're going to weaken the egg and it's going to take a, a lot less force, a lot less pressure to, to crack it. So same thing here. Now, one thing I'll say is the newer helmet I have, which is the white one, um, and this is something to be aware of. And this may be a problem that this is a less expensive helmet. Maybe the more expensive modulars made by Shoei and Orion, whatever, because those manufacturers, well, I know Shoei has them. I'm not sure of Orion. I think they have modulars as well. But on my helmet, the, the left-hand latch, it started where it used to be that I could just, you know, grab the chin bar of, you know, from the, the top when the front of the helmet was open and pull that down and it just locked on both sides. More recently, I noticed, in fact, this season, that the right side will latch, but the left doesn't always latch. And so I have to actually prop up the visor and then kind of take my hand and squeeze the chin bar against the left side of the helmet and make sure it latches. So again, like there's something that, you know, some people may not even think about that or be aware of that kind of thing, right? So they could be riding around with a modular helmet that's only partially secured and locked down. And then in all honesty, Honesty, I don't know how strong those mechanisms and pins are. <clears throat> like I said, Snell doesn't test these kind of helmets. Uh, I haven't seen any testing of modulars like this. If anyone has, let me know. It'll be interesting to kind of see like what kind of forces applied and what kind of ways can 
you know, force these things to fail. Or, you know, if there are certain brands of modular helmets that are made better, you know, that the, the latch is more positive and it won't come apart. But anyway, so these, there's all these issues regarding helmet design. You know, so again, you, you want a full face, not a modular for on the track. And then anything that creates holes or, you know, room for electronics or whatever potentially compromises the integrity of the helmet. Now, another thing, too, that's interesting, and Arai makes this point, and if you look at their website, they make a big deal out of how even though other manufacturers, and Shoei has done this to a degree, but you see this more with like HJC, I think, and, and some other brands, um, particularly perhaps brands that are not so much focused on the racetrack, you know, more like more kind of consumer oriented where it's like high tech and look how cool this is. Um, but their point is that they get, they kind of get a little criticized because over the years they haven't evolved the way some manufacturers have with all the fancy aerodynamic lips and curls and whatever and, and fancy ventilation systems and things on their helmet shells. And the point that they make is the reason they do that is that they believe one of the factors in helmet safety and they, they also make the point, and other manufacturers do too, that you know there are manufacturers that design helmets to meet like things like the Snell Foundation tests. Now, it's fine that a helmet passes those tests, but you have to kind of look at what exactly like a Snell certification means. Like what is the testing that they do? What's the things that are being tested on the helmet before you decide that, you know, Snell or any other certification you know, means what you think it means, right? <clears throat> so the point they make is, so yes, like Shoei, Arai, other manufacturers, they have helmets that are Snell certified, even up to the latest, which I believe is Snell 2015. But what Arai says is, you don't want to just design a helmet based on that. And they talk about the fact that they've been making helmets, I think, since the, the 50s. Actually, you can see on the website, it's the story of how it got started. It's a gentleman who actually made hats for a living, and he was a big motorcycle enthusiast. And because of the situation in Japan, they, you know, you could not import products into the Japanese market, uh, I guess because after World War II and whatever. And so there were no helmets available. And so he set out to design a helmet. And that's kind of how Arai got started. So they've got many, many years of history, both you know, all, all kinds of sports, you know, motorcycles and uh, automobile racing and all this kind of stuff. So the, the point that, that they make is that the advantage of their helmets is they generally are very rounded with no edges or whatever. And the advantage, they say, is in a crash situation, they don't want to have anything on the helmet shell that could potentially catch or snag on something, right? So that kind of makes sense. Like you look at some helmets, they've got like this fancy aerodynamic like spoiler on the back of the helmet, which, you know, potentially, yeah, could could like hook on a motorcycle if you come off the motorcycle or some feature of the ground. And so Arai's argument is with a nice round, smooth surface, nothing is going to catch. And so you eliminate the possibility of injuries related to that. doesn't mean there are you know, obviously other kinds of injuries that can occur, but you eliminate that. And so even where they do put some kind of little vent or scoop or something on the helmet, you know, for like ventilation, air cooling and whatever, evidently they are attached with double-sided tape so that they're not integrated into the helmet shell so that the idea, I guess, is if something like that does catch, it rips off the helmet really quick and it's not going to apply any undue forces to your head. So really, really interesting. So that's kind of a big selling point that Arai talks about with regard to their helmets. Uh, then again, Shoei, like I said, I was looking at Shoei's website. Um, 
you know, again, they, they go into all the benefits of their helmets and their technology. You know, one of the thing they, things they talk a lot about is the materials that they use in the shell and the different composites and, and why those, you know, result in a stronger shell that's better able to deflect forces and whatever. So a lot, a lot of stuff involved. So, all right, hang on one second. Let me collect my thoughts here before I go on. All right, so thoughts fully collected now. So what kind of got me off on this track, and I don't exactly remember how I got onto the helmet thing here with the Ryan Showy, but so I did mention, so, you know, Black Friday sales and whatever. So Dayanese, again, was having this sale. Now, Dayanese, their helmet brand is AGV, which I believe, I'm not exactly sure. I, I believe they acquired them some time ago. I'm not exactly sure how that works. But they had some pretty intense sales going on. And so I went to the store in New York City and it, it was kind of nice. Like it's nice to be able to go and actually look at the merchandise and whatever. Uh, not surprisingly, it's a fairly small like retail space. You know, real estate in Manhattan is very expensive and I'm sure their rent is pretty high. Um, you know, but I don't know what the square footage was, but I'd say that the floor area was maybe a, th a third, maybe a half of like what my local cycle gear has. But still, you know, they had all the, the products there on display and whatever. It seemed like things were not marked with a price, which is kind of, you know, I don't know, maybe it's the kind of thing if you're shopping Dayanese, then you're not supposed to care what the price is. But, you know, you know, reality is, right, you want to know what you're spending money on. And I actually had gone in on Thursday. Let me think. What was it? Thursday? No, it wasn't Thursday because I was Thanksgiving. Maybe, so maybe it was Wednesday. I think it was Wednesday evening because I got an email saying, hey, come to the store. You know, we're having pre-Black Friday, you know, even extra special prices and whatever. So anyway, I, I went in there after work. I probably got there about 6.30-ish, maybe, maybe 6 o'clock. <clears throat> they hadn't really, it looks like they weren't really set up. I have a feeling the salespeople in the store didn't even know about this email that went out. Because like I said, first of all, there weren't even prices on things. And then they sort of had started putting, you know, discount stickers out like, and, and it didn't even say the percent, I think it was just like, we just have a percent sign, like a white percent on a red tag. And if that was hung on a rack, then that meant you had to ask them and they, they would tell you what the sale price was. And they had to go look it up in the computer. It was, it was honestly, it was kind of like a little discouraging the way that was. It's like, I'm a kind of person like, I just want to kind of do things efficiently. I want to go in, I want to look at things, I want to be able to ask questions and whatever. But Whatever, that, that aside, the, the point I'm getting to is um, they had, like, in some cases, 50% off some of the, the full leather race suits or track suits. Everywhere from uh, their top of the line, which is, you know, full leather race suit, actually made out of kangaroo hide with the Dionese D-Air system, you know, built in. Uh, normally, $4,500, I think, was on sale for $2,500. Now, I mean, that that's a lot of money. Like, honestly... I don't think I'm going to be spending that much on my full getup, um, let alone, you know, a tracksuit. But, you know, it's, the point is I kind of like look at it and go, wow, that's like a, that's a lot of money saved. Um, you know, and then even the lesser suits, like they have suits that are normally, you know, 1500 on sale for 800. And, you know, I think even like the, the suit that's normally a thousand, you know, kind of the starting entry level was on sale for 600. So some very attractive prices and, you know, the, a kind of like tempted, like an impulse buy kind of thing. Like, wow, this is such a great sale, such a great price. Let me go for it. But so this is the point I'm getting to, Shane. Sorry, it's taking me so long. Um, but I ultimately actually, you know, I was in the store for a while. And then I was even kicking it around like on Thanksgiving and Friday because, you know, the sale went through the whole weekend. I was like, you know what? Let me not rush this. Um, you know, even if I didn't buy one of the very expensive suits, it's like, 
there's a lot, a lot of options. You know, even in the suits, there's Danese, there's Alpine Stars, right? They're the ones with the airbag technology. It's like, I don't know, do I just want to just go with DNA's DNA's just because it's a good price? You know, let me take a little time to research the different airbag systems and see what's good and bad and what I like and don't like and what the reviews are saying. And maybe I don't want their airbag system. You know, there are other options, you know, heat light and things. I don't know how suitable they are for the track. I do know people who use them on the track. Uh, but so that that's kind of a thing to take a look at. You know, I did ask the salesman about Danese's smart jacket, uh, which is actually kind of a vest that's designed to either be worn outside or inside clothing. Uh, a point he made, though, and, and I kind of had to follow up. I don't know that he, you know, knew all the technical details, but what he said that made sense was that that jacket is designed for street riding, right? And so you can imagine that the programming in the, the intelligence of that that smart jacket is different than what is programmed into the DR system in a track suit or a race suit, right? Because you're talking about different speeds and different forces and the whole thing, you know, different riding styles. So that kind of made sense to me. <clears throat> now, maybe it's basically the same electronics programmed differently. And who knows, maybe, a, you know, maybe there are life hacks or something where you could redo the programming, but <clears throat> who wants to get involved in that kind of stuff when you're talking about your, your personal safety. So it just got me thinking about this, and I'm like, you know what? Okay, I'm tempted to get the deal, you know, and even they had 50 off on uh, some of their track boots. Um, again, if you hold on one second, let me find the model. Okay, so yeah, so it was the Torque D1 boot, which lists for about $400, was half price, so like $200. And again, like that was kind of tempting. It's like, wow, like I could save $200 and I could put that towards the helmet or whatever. But again, I was like, you know what? Let me just slow down because... You know, this is kind of a big undertaking, and it's not like I don't want to make too much out of this. And you know, I haven't even been on the track yet. You know, there's always the possibility I try it and go, "Nah, this isn't for me." I really doubt that's going to be an issue. But it's like let me let me just kind of take this step by step. And so, you know, I was kind of looking at it, going, "All right, so I'm saving two hundred dollars there, or fifty dollars there." Or in some cases, I was looking at you know items. It was like I'd save twenty, thirty dollars. I'm like, is it really worth you know rushing into something? without really knowing what I'm buying into just to save, quote-unquote, a little bit of money. So <clears throat> so where I'm going, Shane, sorry, I, keep, I know I keep saying that, but the way I'm kind of thinking about it now is in terms of setting myself up for the track, and so I think this is a little bit similar to what you're dealing with, equipping yourself with gear to ride on the street. Now, it's different levels, right? So you don't need to have the same level of protection necessarily on the street as you do on the track, although it couldn't hurt. Right. It's just the, the more protection you have, the more, um, you know, the, the more like cushion, the more, um, you know, like margin for error. Right. You, you one of the things about safety and survival is not pushing things to the ragged edge all the time, although you're competing and you're racing. That's kind of a different thing. Right. Because that's that's done for a whole different reason. But it's like you, you know, even the even. Riding motorcycles, right? This is a big thing, particularly if you're riding on the street. You don't want to be riding at 10 tenths of your ability. You want to be riding at six or seven tenths of your ability. So if something goes wrong, there's still something left, right? There's still You still have something to work with. So you could make that argument that, well, hey, if such and such is great for the track, you know, why not spend the same money for the street? You're just going to be that much better protected. With the caveat, I would say that there could be certain pieces of equipment suitable for the track that just don't make sense for the street. You know, like... 
certain, you know, like race helmets, for example, are designed aerodynamically and shaped and whatever because you're in a tuck, right? And you want to go as fast as possible on the straightaways. Well, if you're not riding a sport bike tucked over on the street, well, okay, maybe that doesn't quite make sense. But that's that's aerodynamics. That's not necessarily protection level. But Aaron, so I think you could make the argument that, you know, hey, if it's good protection on the track, it's even better protection on the street. So that's something to think with. But so basically the way I'm looking at it now is I don't want to spend too much money, but let me not worry about what bike I'm going to buy eventually, what track bike, what, what, whatever. Let me research and find out what's the equipment that's really going to suit me that I'm comfortable with the price, but, but also the price performance, like the, the level of protection that I'm going to be getting. And if that means buying the thing at retail and not getting it on the Black Friday sale, well, then that's the way I'm going to go. Um, and like, so in particular, so these Torque D1 boots, right? So, you know, because the thing I'm looking at it going, okay, manufacturers don't do big sales for out of kindness, right? This is not, they're not, it's not philanthropic. You know, these are businesses, right? They're there to make money. So generally, when there's some kind of big sale, there's a number of reasons. One, they've got a product that's unpopular and they're trying to clear out. Two, they have a new product coming out that replaces it and they want to clear out the existing inventory before, right, they, they come out with the new inventory because they don't want to get stuck with it. So I was like, hmm, that's kind of interesting. So I started doing a little Googling and sure enough, and, and actually they're on Dionese's website now, these Torque 3 boots, but I found that they're currently available in Europe, although they're not being sold in U.S. retailers yet. I expect to see that soon. The Torque 3 boot replaces the Torque D1 boot. Now, that doesn't necessarily mean that they're, you know, super, super better, but, you know, you look at the specs and you see there are things that have changed. You know, the Torque D1 boots, I think, you know, I saw came out at least five or six years ago, at least the earliest reviews that I found, like on YouTube and whatever. So it's like, all right, this is five, six-year-old technology. Presumably, they've come out with this new Torque 3 boot because, you know, they, they found things that needed to be improved. And again, maybe they're not you know, major, major things, but it's like, okay, if I'm going to go spend the money on equipment and I'm going to probably have this equipment and use it for the next five years, it's kind of like the approach I try to take with electronics. It's like, let me buy the best I can afford when I buy it with the hopes that it's going to last me as long as possible. And that, you know, it kind of, uh, you know, can stick with it and, and it's going to, it's going to serve me well and have the capability and performance that I need until, you know, I'm ready to spend the money to replace it, in which case, obviously, you know, the stuff will have improved even more. But at least during that period, at least I know I started with kind of the best that was available at the time, or at least the the best that I could afford at the time. So that's kind of the direction I'm leaning now. So, you know, I I, I don't know that I'm going to go Dayanese or anything, but I happen to like some of their stuff, but I do want to look at Alpine Stars. I want to look at some of the other options and... You know, if if I can see the latest version of something, you know, has features that warrants the price and paying retail list and you know, eventually there'll be some discounts on like Revzilla.com and, you know, the major retailers and whatnot. Um, that's the route I'm going to go. And I'm going to kind of consider that the money I didn't save on the Black Friday sale and whatever is just an investment in my protection and my health. You know, it's it's like insurance, right? You have insurance in case something goes wrong. Well, when something does go wrong, you want to know that the insurance covers you. And, uh, you know, I've just, 
I've interviewed a lot of people who've been injured on motorcycles, and I've just heard stories, and I just wonder, like I hear about these different things, you know, people having surgery because of injuries, like Chris Bays, right, you know, Motor America racer, had surgery on his elbow and shoulder because uh, he high-sided off his motorcycle. Tom Walker, who was also on the show, you know, we talked about how he injured himself on the track and has had surgeries and things to, to repair his ankle. So there's no saying that those injuries were avoidable or preventable at all. Although, you know, those are the kinds of things. And, you know, you hear like, uh, like Shoei and Arai, one of the advantages of them being involved in motorsports, whether it's motorcycle racing, car racing or whatever, is they have their products used in lots of situations. And evidently they make a point of when someone wrecks, you know, and whatever they're wearing a helmet or whatever it happens to be, they do the best they can to get the helmet so they can look at it and research and see what happened to the helmet. You know, nowadays, you know, race motorcycles and cars have all kinds of onboard electronics and data capture systems so they can look at the data and they can see, you know, how fast was the guy going? What was the G-forces involved? You know, you know, nowadays with IMUs, inertial management units, you know, what were the twisting forces on the motorcycle? I wouldn't even be surprised if with these airbag suits like from Dayanese, you know, the D-Air and the Alpine Stars, um, their system, uh, Tech Air, I think it's called, uh, they may also have similar intelligence built into the suits where they've got some kind of, you know, memory chip or whatever that they can record what happened, you know, during the time of the, the like right before and during the time of the, the accident to know what's the forces involved and how well did the product perform and what could, you know, even more importantly, what could be done to improve it in the future. So I don't, you know, I don't know for a fact that the injuries that these guys have sustained, you know, riding motorcycles was preventable or could have been prevented with different gear, but it's certainly possible. Um, you know, like in the case of Tom's accident, you know, kind of, I guess, shattering his ankle bone, maybe a different kind of boot that's designed differently. Like one of the things I'm looking at with these Dionese boots, like the Torque 3, and then they have a, a higher level boot called the Axial D1. Um, it reminds me a little bit of like a ski boot. Um, I mean, ski boot has like a hard outer shell with an, you know, soft inner boot, like for downhill skiing. This is not exactly the same thing, uh, because you do need to move your foot in a different way when you're riding a motorcycle, but they've got a system, it's basically a hinge system so that your foot, your ankle can only pivot forwards and backwards, not side to side, or at least, you know, I mean, obviously if enough force is applied, that'll happen, but that's, that's a whole different story, but it's designed to keep your ankle just moving in that plane forward, you know, forwards and backwards. So to, to avoid those kind of like twisting or, or side impact injuries, maybe there are boots that have better protection, like better uh, impact absorbing capabilities on the ankle bone, like on the side of the boot. So, so again, like these are all the kind of things I want to look at. And so, you know, obviously as I research these things and I learn, and I find out more, I'll share them with the listeners. But so that's kind of my mentality now is, um, you know, research, find out what is really good and not just the hype and the fluff, right? It's easy to get sucked into that too. Like, oh, you know, this new feature and this new technology, but like really kind of take a look and see what's the merits of it. Does it really make sense to me, you know, from a, from a engineering and a tech, technical perspective, does it really sound like this, this feature or this thing is going to matter? And then, like I said, buy, buy the best I can afford at this time go do my track thing and, you know, feeling like I've done what I can to protect myself. And probably in most cases with the gear, you know, maybe with the exception of gloves, like race gloves are very kind of, you know, they're, they're really kind of, 
I won't say single purpose, but you know, they may not be the most comfortable things when you're just cruising around or something like that. But certainly like in terms of probably boots and helmet, whatever I buy for the track, I'm just going to end up wearing on the street because if I have $400 boots or five, $600 helmet, you know, and I do track days like a couple times a year, am I going to just leave them sitting in the bag and, and not, you know, when I go out on my motorcycle, like why, why wouldn't I use it? So I kind of expect that those pieces of gear are going to replace the existing stuff that I have and I'll be that much better protected on the street. Um, do I expect to wear a full piece leather suit on the street? Honestly, no. Not that it would be a bad thing. I mean, it certainly would be great protection. To me, it, you know, it's kind of just would look kind of funky. It's like, you know, if you're, if you're canyon carving or something, that's one thing and you're out with your buddies on sport bikes, but like the kind of riding I do cruising around and going upstate and, you know, weekend trips, I'm not going to be wearing a one piece leather suit, you know, and that's partly why the two piece suit was maybe attractive. But again, I think for what I want to do on the track, a one piece suit is going to be the way I go. Which actually there again leads me to, and again, this isn't directly related to street riding or street gear necessarily, but I've started to research um, track suits and what's involved in making them. And obviously, there's all kinds of factors there. And the the feel I'm getting, and, and this is not to criticize any particular manufacturer because I don't have any specific data, but in what I've researched so far, and actually um, Dan Netting, I belong to his uh, Facebook group. It's the, the Track Academy group, you know, which is all about track riding and stuff like that. And I actually had posted in there asking for advice on track suit. And uh, he pointed me to a two-part really good article. It's from a number of years ago, but a really good article about leather suits and how they're made and the things the person should be aware of. And I'll, I'll include the links in the show notes for that, for those articles. But, you know, things like what's the thickness of the leather, the fact that even the same thickness leather, depending on the quality, you know, some of it can just tear like tissue paper and others, you know, can withstand, you know, multiple accidents kind of thing. Uh, there's a point made about the stitching, you know, how are the seams stitched, you know, on less expensive suits or knockoff suits, like the kind of things you see like on Facebook and eBay and whatever, uh, may not be made as well as the really top of the line suits. And the point I was getting to is top of the line doesn't necessarily mean like the, the brands that we all know about and that are, you know, big names in motorcycle racing. And the, the, the sense of what I was reading, and again, I'm not, I don't know that this is true, but maybe that some of the manufacturers use their name and their reputation, and then people are like, oh, wow, their stuff must be awesome. And then maybe in some cases, they kind of cut corners and things and don't, you know, the, the, the suit that you buy off the shelf, whether it's at Cycle Gear or from Revzilla or whatever, even though it's a pricey piece, may not be as well made as suits of comparable value that you could get from smaller manufacturers or like custom-made leather suits. Like I saw a company that makes a custom leather suit. Actually, I think it was Rob Yellow who had pointed me to this. Um, it's like five or 600 bucks for like a custom, or maybe it's another 100 bucks, but for a custom-fitted suit, like leather suit, like that racers use. Um, you know, and so again, the point is, whether it's Alpine Stars or Dayanese or whoever the manufacturer is, what you buy off the shelf at the retailer is not necessarily anything like what, you know, Valentino Rossi or Mark Marquez is running on the racetrack. You know, they have, you know, suits made for them. I, I don't know all the details, but possibly with special features and things that don't make it to the showroom floor. So it's just kind of something to be aware of, like in regards to stitching and things. So 
that article I mentioned actually had some pictures that showed, you know, ideally what you want to have is the seams are triple stitched. And the idea is, and it actually talks about the fact that in a crash, the seam is actually supposed to let go a little bit. I, I guess, I don't know if that helps release some crash forces or just gives you a little movement in the suit. But like that first level of first row of stitching is actually meant to kind of separate. And they, they make the point that that's the reason that you don't want thread that's too strong like some suits are made with kevlar thread and the thing that they talk about is if the thread is too strong then it what it does actually is it rips through the leather instead of letting go which is ideally what you want to have happen so they show pictures of where you know on the outside it looks like it's triple stitched but it's actually single or double stitched on the inside and all the kind of goofy things that you know some manufacturers will do to make the suits look stronger or more like you know top level race suits so again, like this is definitely like a buyer beware kind of thing. And that, that's why I want to take the time to start researching things and educating myself and learning. And like I said, I will share that with you listeners, you know, as, as kind of things progress. Um, another thing, too, that got me to kind of slow down a little bit um, is there's features and things that I wasn't aware of. Like when I first was looking at the website at the Dayanese Boots, I saw that they have in boots and out boots. And I'm like, what the heck is that? You know, I kind of get the idea. It's inside and outside. Well, it turns out that, and I don't know if Dayanese is the only one that does it, but it's interesting because I, I pulled up pictures online of Valentino Rossi, who wears Dayanese. And sure enough, you could see that he wears um, what are called in boots. So I believe this is something that Dayanese started. <clears throat> Other manufacturers may be doing it as well. But normally the legs of the tracksuit is tucked inside the boots. And so Dayanese still has that kind of boot, which is called an out boot because it goes on the outside of the pant leg or the, the tracksuit leg. But they started this concept of in boots where the boot is actually narrower at the top than normal so that it fits inside the pants legs of the tracksuit and then has Velcro on the outside of the boot that connects to Velcro on the inside of the suit so that the suit stays attached to the uh, to the boots. And the point that's made is with proper protection, like knee shin protection in the suit, when you attach the suit to the boot, then that kind of continues down to the hard shell of the boot. So you kind of have this continuous protection from your knee all the way down to your foot, like at least on the front. So again, until I started researching it, that was not, I didn't even realize that was something that existed. And so one of the improvements with these boots, like going from the Torque D1 to the Torque 3, is they changed the nature of the Velcro because what was happening was people would buy the Dayanese boots and use it with a different manufacturer's tracksuit that doesn't have the Velcro on the inside, which you can do, right? You don't have to attach to the boot. Um, but they would wear some other manufacturer's suit with the pants over the boot. And what would happen is because the Velcro was a very... Um, like tough kind of Velcro, it would rip up the liner on the inside of other suits. So in the new version, the Torque 3 boots, they of the, the in boots at least, they still have that Velcro, but it's a much less aggressive Velcro that still attaches properly to a Dayanese leather suit, but doesn't cause that, you know, rip up of the liners inside other manufacturers' suits. So again, like something else to learn about that, you know, I didn't even know existed. So I'm at about the hour mark here, and there's some famous quote about the best laid plans of mice and men or something like that. I'm not much of a literary person. I don't know the exact quote. But anyway, so best laid plans, right? So 
my plan last episode was this episode I was going to cover all the listener emails, and then this episode I was going to get through a bunch of emails. So it looks like that's not going to happen. However, <laughs> I'm not trying to make excuses. Uh, but like I said, I, I just saw Shane's message, and it just seemed like a really, really good timing, real good opportunity to talk about this kind of stuff. One, because I could help him. I'm sure there's other listeners that are struggling with some of the same things, whether they're looking to buy their first gear or they're looking to upgrade their gear. So let me kind of wrap wrap this episode up this way. So Shane, I hope what I said has helped. If not, like definitely email me back and let me know any other specific questions you have, which in part I will answer through the podcast, but I you know, can also we can just have an email conversation back and forth. So I guess my my advice to you is this. Obviously, you know, I'm not going to tell anyone what gear to wear. Like I said, you know, when it comes to that, you know, I wear gear, I recommend other people wear gear, but I don't preach to people about gear. But so Here's what I'm going to do is my plan in this regard, like I said, just to kind of summarize, is going to do a little more research to educate myself. I don't want to go crazy because I do want to make a decision, but I am fortunate in that I don't plan my first, whether it's an on-track course or track day, until April at the earliest, probably May is more like it, depending on schedules and availability because you know, of the weather and whatnot. Um, so I, I definitely have time to research. I'm not going to rush into buying anything, but... My focus is not going to be on the cost, although I will have a budget, but it's going to be what's the best price performance? What, what's the best return on investment? What equipment can I get that will properly protect me with the kind of things I expect to do on the track? Because I'm not going to be MotoGP racing. Uh, I, I don't even expect to race, right? I just want to be protected, get the best stuff that I can afford, um, and and try not to have cost as a thing, if you know what I'm saying. Like, you know, I'd rather like all next year use my Z900 RS on the track, you know, maybe just outfit it with track sliders so it's a little protected, not worry about buying a track bike, focus my attention on getting some good gear. And then whether it's the next year or whatever, you know, when I have the budget, you know, then buy the track bike, which probably would be used or whatever. Um, but that that's kind of my plan. So it's, you know, get the best gear that I can. Um, I do think it makes a difference. Um, I would not suggest or advocate that someone, you know, don't don't try to don't be cheap. Don't try to save a few bucks on your gear. I'd I'd rather see, especially like someone looking who hasn't bought their first motorcycle yet. And and even in one of the, my early episodes, you know, I mentioned if you're getting into motorcycling, don't just figure out your budget and blow it all on the motorcycle. It's like figure out your budget, and then you know I don't have any hard fast figures for you, but you know, I don't know, at least 10%, maybe 20% of your budget, like think about putting towards the gear. Um, and, and also like to Fast Eddie's point, the training, right? Definitely basic rider course or the the first course, basic course for total control, but plan for additional training as well. So like look at the overall picture and budget yourself that way. If that means you can't get the exact fancy bike you wanted, okay. If it means you have to buy used instead of new, Okay, like I just would rather see people have good proper gear. And again, that doesn't mean you don't you don't have to blow crazy money on brand names just because they're cool or whatever. I'm not saying that. You know, if you can find a piece of equipment from a manufacturer that looks just as good and it's rated just as well, and you know, it's a thing too. Like, look, see what people are saying on the internet, or you know, you have friends or 
other people that ride, get their recommendations. Um, so I'm not saying you just blow money just because it looks cool or whatever, but you know, spend the money because it's good, solid equipment. Protect yourself, and then you know, like Fast Eddie has said, you know, it's more about the rider. It's not so much about the motorcycle. Then with what's left, get the best motorcycle you can. Enjoy the heck out of it, which you will. The safer you are, the better protected you are, probably the more you're going to enjoy it. And if something does go wrong, there's less likelihood of having issues and problems from that. And then, you know, because that gear is going to last you a long time. Uh, and then when you can afford them, you know, you have the money and you can afford the better bike, then go for it. I mean, if you can do it all up front, go for it. I mean, some people have the money. It's like budget's not that big an issue. So then then by all means, you know, go go for the fancy motorcycle that you want. But that's kind of the my recommendation. It's not specific items of gear, but that's kind of how the, the, the way that I'm looking at it. The one kind of caveat I would add to this is, you know, if you listen to my back episodes, if you haven't already, um, one of the things I did talk about, and I'm kind of happy I went that route, is I didn't jump in right away and buy a, buy a five or $600 helmet. I could have, but when I started out, one, you know, I was just learning to ride. I wasn't doing anything crazy. I wasn't racing around. I wasn't riding high speed. I wasn't doing like a lot of long distance or a lot of highway where I was putting myself more at risk. Um, but I would, you know, I would say if you're not sure what you want, like if you're not, you know, if you're looking at a $500, anything, helmet, boots, whatever, and you're not sure that's really what you want, I wouldn't necessarily spend the money, you know, buy something less expensive to get started. Like I took the approach of, I really don't know anything about this stuff. Let me get something that looks good. You know, cycle gear, it's kind of a name I trust, reputable dealer. Um, and then let me see what I do and don't like about it. So this way I haven't invested too much money. And for me, that's worked out really well because the, you know, the experience that I have, right, I've got, I don't know, I've, I've got probably four or five, well, probably five jackets now. I don't know, probably eight pairs of gloves, three pairs of boots. I've got two helmets. I've got gear galore, right? And you'll hear other people will talk about this. They have all kinds of gear, you know, because you buy something and you try something. And, you know, some of it's because you need different gear for different conditions or different types of riding, you know, and that's fine. But the point is, it is kind of a little bit of an adventure. Like you have to find out what you do and don't like, what works for you, what doesn't work for you. So I wouldn't spend crazy money if you're not quite sure it's the equipment you want. So I guess what I'm saying is once you know what you want, I wouldn't let money be too much of a, a stop, you know, unless you honestly can't afford it. It's like if that's something you want and you want the protection and features that it provides and you can afford it, like go for it, make that the focus. And like I said, the, the other stuff like, you know, fancy bike and exhaust system and performance and all that. Okay. Yeah. That stuff is cool if it comes after the fact, but anyway, Shane, so I hope that helps answer your question. Uh, like I said, definitely we can have a continued dialogue back and forth. I hope other people listening to this episode have gotten something out of this, no matter what type of rider you are. Definitely, you know, give me feedback. Let me know what you think, um, what your ideas are. Definitely would like to have a dialogue going. You know, you could message me on Facebook or Instagram. Um, I could even post some things on my Facebook page. You know, I've got uh, quite a few groups there. I've got one for new riders, for returning riders, for experienced riders, you know, for motorcycle racing. Um, and then also there's a group for my listeners. So, 
listener, if you would like to be involved in the discussion about the podcast and the shape that it takes and how things go, definitely you know find me on Facebook and send a, you know, send me a request to join the the podcast. I think it's called My Podcast Listeners Group, or send me an email at so you want to ride at yahoo dot com, and uh, I will include you in the conversation because I definitely I value the input from all my listeners. I want to know what you have to say, uh, what you need help with, you know what information you can offer, and just you know help me continue to to build this community that I've got going. All right. So the next episode will be more listener emails. I'm going to catch up on that backlog. And actually, I'm going to kind of do it in this format because many of the emails have had questions of various types. And I've tried to answer just directly to the emails that I got. But, you know, I'd like to add some more additional information and just answer them for the benefit of the other listeners. So I definitely will be doing that over the course of the next one or two episodes, if that's what it takes. Uh, I am going to start getting back into doing interviews. So there may be some of those mixed in coming up as well. Uh, if you'd like to find out more about my podcast or find the earlier podcast episodes, just point your web browser to so you want to ride a motorcycle.com or find the link in the show notes for this episode uh, in your favorite podcast app. If you have any questions about the show or the topics that I discussed, or if you want to send me feedback, you can email me anytime at so you want to ride at yahoo.com. That address is address is also in the podcast notes. And of course, you can follow me on Facebook and Instagram, where I share lots of links to other people's motorcycle articles and video content, as well as providing a lot of my own motorcycle related photos and whatever content I come up with. Just search for So You Want to Ride, or again, find the links on my website or in the podcast notes. Please help me spread the word so we can grow my online and listener communities. And um, so one thing I did want to mention in closing is uh, I'm definitely considering creating a Patreon account. I actually uh, had gotten a message recently from G4. He mentioned that he recently became a Throttle Crew member, so he's supporting the Throttle Podcast on Patreon, which is awesome. John, thank you for that. And uh, he mentioned if I set up a Patreon account, you know, he'd like to be my first Patreon subscriber, so that would be really, really cool. So I think I need to kind of get my get my button gear and uh, get that all set up. So if you're interested in supporting the show, and you would like to become a Patreon subscriber, let me know. Um, let me know kind of what the dollar level is you'd be comfortable with. You know, it could be anything, a dollar a month, $2 a month, $5 a month. You know, I don't know, maybe people might want to do more. Uh, it could even be on a per episode basis. That's one of the models that Patreon supports. Uh, but let me know. And more importantly, let me know, because usually in the Patreon model, you know, people who support the show financially will get some kind of perk. So let me know what kind of perks you'd like to get, you know, like, would it be, uh, you know, special stickers or t-shirt or, you know, I've got lots of motorcycle photographs I've taken both racing and non-racing, you know, would you like to get a, like eight by 10 print of a motorcycle, you know, photo that I've done or like, let, let me know, or, you know, would you like to have a special subscriber, like Patreon only episode once a month or just let me know what ideas you have. And I'm definitely op open to ideas to kind of figure out how to set this thing all up. Uh, in the meantime, if you would like to support the podcast, you can just go to paypal.me slash Christopher Geis. Uh, or you can go to the website. There's a link to donate in the upper right-hand side. Anything you want to contribute will be greatly, greatly appreciated. And just help me, uh, help me cover the expenses and whatnot of doing the podcast. And of course, as always, I thank you for listening. And just remember, whatever you do, it's always time to ride. <laughs>